Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. So I'm on, I, I finished episode three of White Lotus. I don't know where you are right now. I just finished uh, the first season. Okay, so. Last night. So, last no, night. so, so no spoilers. No um, spoilers, but I can tell you that uh, I am finding it a, a very smart cultural and political commentary. Um, I guess the name White Lotus in and of itself may be uh, a loaded term or a term that is indicative of, of more than just the, ho- the name of the hotel. <laughs> if people haven't seen it, no spoilers here, but if, if they haven't seen it, it's, uh, it's a hotel in Hawaii. Um, and it's an HBO show and Bill and I are way behind the eight ball, you know, the season two is already over and we're just now watching season one. So forgive us if, if you're much cooler and more culturally relevant than we are. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're late, we're late to the show. Um, but I would say, uh, I found it to be very stimulating. I mean, I'm only watching this now because I've seen so many people be over the moon about season two. Um, and I mean, I, I watch so few shows, period, these days. Uh, and I'm not sure I would be sticking with it if I wasn't seeing so much, you know, effusive reaction from others. Because it's, it, it's a very slow build. Yeah, it uh, ends. I, I will say, Bill, it ends strong. The I last episode. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm going on faith that we're all moving to something <laughs> very climatic. Uh, so you're you're giving me further, yeah, further reason to stick with it. I mean, I liked it. I liked every episode, so mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I didn't feel like it started slow, but I will tell you, it ends with a bang. Mm-hmm. That um, there is a culmination, and and I think um, definitely things happen. <laughs> and I again, though, I just I think that it is a real commentary. Each of the different characters, you know, like there's a family that has like. Um, uh, Connie Britton, you know, from from Friday Night Lights in Nashville plays the mom who basically mm-hmm. works at something like Google. And she's got a daughter and her daughter's friend who are very progressive mm-hmm. and kind of uh, woke, I would say. Mm-hmm. And the tension between the mom and the dad and the kids based on the differing. Per- I, I feel like this is an interesting point and I, it, may, it may just be a Rorschach test, Bill, but I feel like it's kind of a conservative commentary mm-hmm. in many ways. Um, maybe that's just how I view it. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times in entertainment, liberal people make shows that actually make conservative points sometimes. So maybe that's well, what happens. We'll have to revisit once I, once I catch yes. up to, to, where, to where you are. Um, now, I, I feel like I haven't done my homework, uh, but I didn't watch the premiere of the new night court yesterday which oh. which was which was you know live on NBC and I don't really you know watch live TV cuz I'm a cord cutter um but I think when you I say remember- live do you mean they they actually it was done live no 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 I just mean like it was on NBC oh like, I see okay like, like like a regular TV show used to be on TV right. <laughs> um okay. and and I think I think you can stream it on Peacock as of today um so I've watched the snippets of it, and I have to say, like, I'm not impressed with the snippets that I've seen. Um, but I got, but I got to watch. Well, the daughter. Okay, so so Harry Stone and Marky Post apparently had a daughter. Right. It's um she she's one of uh, uh she's from Big Bang Theory. Right. 
with the glasses, although she doesn't have glasses. A now. show, a show I did not see. So I would say Big Bang Theory is a great show as sitcoms go. And she's a great actress. I think it's pretty good casting. Um, Dan Felding is 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 back. And and he's back doing his. I haven't seen it yet, but according to the commercials, and he's doing his shtick from the '80s. Uh, John Larroquette, right, is his right. name. I guess my concern, Bill, would be if they had done this ten years ago, they would have had a lot of the cast members still living. They could have made cameos, sort of like the Cobra Kai reboot, where you get you know, you you have a new you have a new generation, but you can also pay homage to some of the uh, the legendary characters. And I feel like maybe they just waited too long and a lot of the old characters are dead. The, the, the well, actors are dead now. We've, we've lost Harry Anderson, Marky Post, and Charlie Robinson. Uh, Marsha Warfield and Richard Mole are still alive, although I saw a, a clip that Richard Mole said of several That's years Roz ago. And, Roz and Bull, right. for those who are paying right. attention. And, and Richard Mole probably said several years ago that he would never do a reunion show in a million years. Um, so I assume that, wasn't, that was a non-starter. Uh, but I don't know what. Maybe, maybe Marshall Warfield comes back later. I have, I have no idea. Uh, but just what I could see on the clips. I mean, you watch old Nightcore, like that's a raunchy show. Like, it was a, it was a low brow show, uh, and I, I don't know if they found a way to recapture that for twenty first century sensibilities. But again, I haven't seen the, the premiere yet, so I'll, I should I should watch the full show before judging. Well, I mean, the ads I saw though were highlighting the raunchiness of it. Um, yeah, so I, I I I I didn't get the same the same vibe from it. It it, it felt restrained to me. I used to be really against these sort of nostalgia tours because I'm old enough to remember, like they would do a just a crappy show. They'll be like, "Welcome back to Mayberry," mm-hmm. where Andy's like 60 years old and he he's married to Helen Crump, and they go back to Mayberry, and it's just. It's just a way to cash a check. You know, there's mm-hmm. no artistic. It's, it's really sad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I feel like in recent years, the Roseanne Barr uh, reboot un- until she got in trouble and the Cobra Kai reboot, mm-hmm. I thought really demonstrated that, wow, OK, these are not just cash grabs. You can actually take this IP you know, intellectual mm-hmm. property and, and advance a story and reinvent it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that gave me a little bit of hope for Night Corp, but Bill, it sounds like they did not execute. Well, again, well, again, I'm, I'm just basing on what on the on the clips. So we should we should we should give it a full a few shows before casting, you know, uh, a final review here. All right. Well, and that was part of the great uh, TGIF. No, no, that's Friday night. No, no, no. It was the Thursday night lineup. No, of must must see TV Thursday. Must see TV. Right. So you had. Uh, you would have had Cosby, uh, Family Ties, Cheers, and then Night Court, yeah. right? Yeah. And then Wings came in later, I guess, as a replacement. Which really for... did. And, and Wings, let's fit. Wings does not deserve to be no, on it's that. Not, it's not <laughs> on the same. <laughs> yeah, it's not on the same list. But yeah, that's probably, uh, that was a strong night of TV. Thursday night's NBC. Uh, they will be missed. They will All be right. missed. Uh, we've, we've procrastinated long enough, Matt. And, and we, we failed last week to address the Biden classified documents. Yes. Uh, brouhaha. I don't know. But but you know what though, Bill, before, before we get into that, I was on morning Joe a couple days ago talking about that story about the Biden classified documents. And I got multiple emails from people asking, uh, People were obsessed with 
this picture of Joan Didion behind me. And they don't, they can't figure out who it is. And they're trying super hard. So if anyone is watching, it's Joan Didion. Um, but I'm telling you, man, it's it's so interesting. People are very intrigued by the picture. My friend Adele Scalia uh, tweeted that um, it's proof that smoking is glamorous, that smoking <laughs> does make people look cool. And I think we have to agree. Well, don't you just see a picture of Joe Didion, you know, 20 years later to assess how, how cool I, smoking is? <laughs> um, we all, you know, everybody ages, Bill, but I think the young... The young Joan Didion uh, is is forever with us. So, <laughs> um, well, what what is your take uh, on the on the matter? I think it's pretty conventional wisdom um, in terms of the 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 first topic being not as bad as what Trump did, um, but that doesn't mean it's not bad, right? I think it's bad. And what does it say about us that the last two presidents have? classified information. Biden has it in at least three different places, right? Some of it's in his house. Some of it's at his office from the Penn Biden Center. Some of it's in his garage where he keeps his Corvette. It's like he's just, you know, got classified information everywhere. Doesn't even realize it's there. I wonder if it's overclassification or if this is just real dangerous, uh, scary stuff. Um, But I think from a political, so that's sort of my moral uh, stand, which is, I think it's very bad, not as bad as Trump, but still very bad. And, and, and we should not let him off the hook because it's not as bad as the last guy. Um, politically, I think it's very damaging because my take is that, uh, you know, the, the Afghanistan withdrawal started this chain reaction where Biden had basically nine horrible months, at least. Uh, things were spiraling out of control. His approval rating was plummeting. It, it, a lot of things, this mo- bad momentum happened. And then at some point in 2022, Biden got his mojo back and he started to string. I think it started with the Build Back Better bill, but he started to string together a series of successes. And that lasted through the midterms. And I think it culminated when you just when you juxtapose the Democratic Party with the Republican Party, you know, just a few weeks ago, trying to elect Kevin McCarthy on 15 ballots. The Democratic Party, you know, in contrast, just looked super competent, super decent, uh, super professional. And the Republicans looked utterly chaotic and 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 uh, evil and stupid. Um, and, and now I feel like um, that that this is probably there's a there's a chance that this could reverse the momentum. So um, it's not good. And the fact that it keeps trickling out, too, is, is a bad sign. Well, uh, just to, just to correct you, I, I think you meant to say Inflation Reduction Act, not Build Back Better. Oh, uh, at the at what began Biden's good run starting in the summer of 2022, um, uh, which and I and I agree with you as far as you know. Biden, help me remember, Bill. Help me remember the distinction between because that's those when two Build Back Better is what Mansion killed in December 2021, and what they resurrected was a smaller version. Of that, which they which they didn't call Build Back Better, they okay, called it. Okay, so so related but different. Yes, okay. yes. Um, I mean, by all by this would appear to be a case of misplaced paperwork, not deliberate stealing, right? Well, I think so, Bill. But the caveat I would put on there is the fact that it was apparently found 
a few days before the midterms and we didn't find out about it until like a week ago. Do we do we know and I, and I realize this is me not doing my job. Uh like who said it first? How was um, it publicly revealed first? My understanding is that Biden's attorneys discovered it before the before the midterms. Right, I know that. And and they were and they reported it to the DOJ and the National who, Archives. Yes. Yeah, that would probably be correct, right? So the National Archives, who has no responsibility to publicize it. Um, and then the media, somehow it leaked. Well, that, that, that's, that's, the media the, that, that's the part I don't know. Like who, what, what was the first um, communication to a reporter? You know, was it, was it voluntary in the part of uh, Team Biden or was it ferreted out uh, from DOJ or what well, it was? Archives? I mean, here, I think what we can clearly state is it was not released officially by Team Biden. It's possible that someone from the Biden campaign leaked it or that a journalist just did a really good job of, of, of reporting, but it was not, the Biden campaign did not bring it out officially and, and announce it. They had to be forced to respond. Um, so it's a lack of transparency. And it looks, I mean, it looks like they tried to bury it until after the midterm, or actually until after the speaker's battle. So this is kind the, of coincidental, the timing. So and this that's was, not great. And Bill, I think that that, Again, we talked about the momentum shift, but I think it also just erodes that brand, whereas the Democrats were seen not just as the competent party, but as the decent party. And um, this erodes that brand, in my opinion. So this was the New York Times story from January 9th. We're talking on the 18th. Um, President Biden's lawyers discovered a, quote, small number, unquote, of classified documents as former office. The White House said on Monday prompting the Justice Department to scrutinize the situation to determine how to proceed. The inquiry, according to two people familiar with the matter, is a type aimed at helping Attorney General Merrick Garland decide whether to appoint a special counsel. Uh, so it, it, it's murky from that. Yeah. Um, how it is initially revealed. Um, so, I mean, I think it, yeah, I, so there were a lot of questions. Why didn't you say something when you when it was first discovered? And of course, the obvious answer is we didn't want to make this an issue before the midterm. Like, duh. Uh, so that's an that's an obvious political impetus uh, to to hold it. But I guess what I don't know is how long were they, were they were they planning to hold it indefinitely, or were they planning to make a reveal at some point? And so what's yeah. and what's what's odd to me? I mean, and this suggests perhaps they weren't rushing to reveal it at all. The fact that you've had this drip, drip. Oh, it's in the office. Oh, it's in its house. Oh, it's another room in his house. I mean, this is that's just that's classic mismanagement. Yes. Of of crisis PR. I mean, the 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 uh, the, the, ba- the fundamental rule of crisis PR is get get the entire story out on your terms. Uh, right yeah. away, so More, it seems like you're on top of it and and and, and fixing it and making amends and apologizing and what what have you. Yeah, um, Morton Blackwell. Uh, I used to work for him at the Leadership Institute. He has this very, I would say, uh, cr- coarse, crass. Uh, by the way, if I if I seem less coherent than normal and if I look paler than normal, it's because I had a very rough night last night. I did not get much sleep, so 
I'm, I'm uh, playing a little injured today. Um, but Morton Blackwell teaches this to young conservatives. And he has this uh, a little bit graphic uh, analogy. He talks about, you know, dogs, how they clip their tails sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. certain types of breeds of dogs, you clip their tail. And he says, you know, you could just clip it once or you could clip it an inch at a time, you know? <laughs> um, and when it's your tail being clipped, you want it clipped once. <laughs> when it's your opponent's tail being clipped, you want to clip it an inch at a time. Mm. And uh, so Biden should have clipped it once. And instead, he's sort of dying this a thousand a deaths of a thousand. Right. So, so there's that problem. And his own comments on it were weirdly glib. Uh, well, they're, they're, they're in my garage, in a locked garage. It's like they're out on the street. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, and, you know, I take I mean, how many nights did Hunter Biden stagger in and sleep in that garage? <laughs> you know, couldn't couldn't get the couldn't get the key into the front door. You know, I mean, I take the point that this is not your average house, you know, on on a busy street. This is this is secluded. There's Secret Service there. Uh, I know that there's no White House visitors logs, but uh, this is not Mar-a-Lago where it's literally, literally a social club. that All sorts of people going in and out all the time. <laughs> so, like, I'm not like morally offended that this mistake occurred, but in terms of uh, how one should handle these situations, like you should, like clearly a mistake was made and you should be apologizing for that mistake and communicating how, what you're doing to, to fix it and not, and, and not being defensive and prickly about it. So, so in all that respect, I concur with you that he's handled it badly. Um, but I do think there's a flip side to this which is, uh, and I've written about this at past times, as a general rule, scandal politics, it tends to backfire or peter out for the, the, the opposition party waging, waging the battle. Uh, most voters tend not to really care about these sorts of matters. It seems just like playing politics and they all do it, and there's no high. There's nothing. There's nothing that really is relevant to me, average voter here. Uh, it's only when you really, really, really got the goods that, that you know, if you, you aim at the king, you, you you don't miss kind of deal. Like if it's if it's a Watergate kind of situation, but even like an Iran Contra, where there were a lot of goods to find, it didn't lead to Reagan's impeachment. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't lead to the election of Michael Dukakis. You know, all the scandal chasing the Obama years uh, didn't get anywhere. You go, you impeach Bill Clinton, you, you, you end up losing the midterms in 1998. There's all sorts of examples where this doesn't really work out. And I think you have, if you're a Republican, you got to ask yourself, am I really on to something here? Am I, is this really, is there really going to be a pot of gold for me at the end of this? Or is it just going to be like, oh yeah, some, some mid-level bureaucrat put it in the wrong folder. Oops. And that's the end of it. But this feeds the to quoque um argument right they you too i mean democrats just made this huge deal out of mar-a-lago now you and i know we that it's apples and orange it's they're not perfectly analogous but you know two presidents who both had classified documents that they shouldn't have had um and in both cases some reason to believe that they were not being open and transparent about it 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 but gives Trump, Republicans. Trump was, Trump was showing off his documents to his friends. <laughs> and Biden didn't even know they were in his house. 
I think it definitely opens the door to kind of a whataboutism. You know, it gives Republicans well, a chance to say there everybody does this. Trump isn't even that bad. The media is out to get him. The big bad media is out to get Trump when everybody does this. Um, and I also think that some people in the midterms voted for Democrats because they felt like Republicans were uh, bad for democracy and were beyond the pale. This kind of muddies the waters on that, well, doesn't I, it? Well, I, I, I agree <laughs> with your first point, not your second. I agree that Democrats can't make a whole, as much hay with Trump's document situation, although, as I said, I think they're very different, but it, they are too close together. If, you, if, if you're debating the fine points of who is worse, that's not a super good argument to, to be in. So I do think it, it, it largely takes the Trump document situation off the table politically. But that was never the main problem with Donald Trump. That was like one little thing on top of a whole, a, a whole shit cake. Uh the yeah. main thing with Donald Trump is that he fomented an insurrection, which is totally yeah. separate from the document thing. Uh, and, and it's that it's the election denial stuff uh, on top of, you know, the repeal of Roe v. Wade, I think, were sort of the biggest marks against Republicans going into the midterms. Yeah. This is well, totally no, it's, it's separate hard, from that. It's hard to argue with that, Bill. But I do think that what we've seen in the new year uh, is it's not just Joe Biden. It's Democrats, right? It's. You talked about it last week, uh, Jared Polis taking a page from Ron DeSantis's playbook, <laughs> busing migrants to Chicago and New York. I didn't even know about this until you told me about right. it. But, you know, who wasn't happy about it? The mayor of New York City and the mayor of Chicago. Um, it is Pete Buttigieg with his planes, trains and automobiles disaster. You know, I mean, uh, the Southwest Airlines debacle, the FAA grounding flights, people calling 911 because they're stuck on a train. Uh, and I'm not blaming him necessarily for everything, but it's certainly happening on his watch. It's not great. Um, I don't know if this is going to redound to Republicans' benefit or Democrats' benefit, but this whole kerfluffle over gas stoves is a new culture war issue. Um, Democrats are opening the new year with a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff that that I think risks making them look. It erodes their competence and their decency. Well, let me take those things individually. I mean, we talked about immigration uh, last week. I, I think Democrats in the short run dodged a bit of a bullet with the Jared Polis move because it, it didn't get as much attention as it might have otherwise if there weren't if there wasn't everything going on with the, with the speaker fight. Um, so, you know, I think Biden's trip to the border was pretty well executed. Uh, and we haven't seen uh, an explosion of border crisis stories we haven't seen an explosion of dem on dem warfare uh, with what Biden announced, even though there, even though there was some Democratic criticism of it, it's still been kind of muted. Uh, I think it's an issue that has legs because what the pressures on the border are, are, have been pretty consistent over the last two years. Um, so it's a kind of thing they have to definitely be very mindful of and could well flare up again over the course of this year, but it hasn't yet become like a, a major, um, you know, uh, 24 hour news cycle issue for Biden this year yet. Um, the, um, the Buttigieg, uh, Southwest air issue is interesting because 
I feel like the criticism that Buttigieg is getting is partly from, you know, the Fox News crowd, and it's partly from the Bernie crowd. You know, a lot of Bernie, a lot of Bernie crats like still have animus towards Buttigieg over what happened in Iowa um, in 2020. You know, there was the, it took several days to adjudicate you know who won the state and. Bernie had the better raw vote, but Buttigieg snags, uh, snagged an extra delegate. Um, and a lot of the Bernie folks looked at Buttigieg as someone who is not, you know, he's not a democratic socialist. He's another moderate establishment type, but he sort of usurped this youth mantle, even though, even though Bernie was getting the bigger youth vote. Um, and if somehow Biden didn't run, they might both well be in, in the race for 2024. So you've seen a lot of pokes coming from some from Bernie himself uh, and, and others from Bernie supporters. Um, so that's kind of percolating out there, um, but you're not quite spilling over and becoming like the story. I mean, you, the Southwest thing was contained. Um, and so it's not been a, a, a drip drip story. It was since the initial, uh, debacle. What was the third thing you mentioned? Uh, the gas stove stuff. Like, I think that I think that cycle's over. I mean, they already said we're not banning gas stoves. I feel like that ended. I felt like you're you're probably right. Um, <clears throat> I felt like it was not a uh, so so. So what happened is Richard Trumka Jr., who's one of the commissioners of the what is it the the group that uh, Elizabeth Warren used to run uh, public. I can't think of the name of the group. Well, well, well there's a public consumer, safety, but consumer. I, I, but, but that's not that's not what Warren created. That's what Warren modeled the her financial version of it. For, for, okay, of, um, consumer product, product safety, safety commission. Commission. Yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, so uh, he said he suggested that they could ban uh, gas stoves, and there are places, Bill. In fact, I think in Los Angeles. You cannot build a new restaurant or home that has gas stoves. They're not coming to they're not coming to take the gas stove you already have, right. but they won't let you. So this is not completely fabricated by the right. Um, what strikes me as interesting about it is that it's a wedge issue, right? Wouldn't you assume that the kinds of people who like gas stoves are foodies who would tend to be more latte liberal type. So I don't know if this has legs, but um, I some people were dismissing it as kind of made up. I don't think it's totally made up. Some people were saying, well, this is the right going crazy again and playing culture war and it's going to hurt them because they're conspiratorial. I'm not convinced of that either. Like I think that this makes the left look out of touch um, with People who ought to be part of the left, actually, with, with no, part man, of their own constituency. I think there was something said by somebody, I think it might have been Trumpka, uh, that made it seem like a possibility. You had a whole, you had a couple of days of everyone losing their minds over it. And then someone else in the White House said, we're not doing this. Um, so uh, and I just feel like the story kind of dissipated after, after that point. Um, so I agree. I, I there's some stuff happening at the local level, yeah. Where uh, there, there you might get some you, you might get some future conflicts 
about the use of gas stoves or gas heat. Uh, so it may be something that has some future potential to be a culture war thing down yeah. the line. But I don't think we're in the we're, we're heading into weeks and weeks and weeks of this being like actually yeah. no, my, fought out at my the national only level. Point, yeah, I agree. My only point, Bill, was that we had this long run of you know, Republicans just looking stupid, doing stupid things, being in the news and and Democrats in comparison, look, looking competent, looking united, looking polished. And then the new year happened. And now we have the Biden, you know, classified document scandal that continues to trickle out, you know, doesn't go away. And now there's a special prosecutor, whatever. whatever. Um, then you've got the, uh, the Trumpka comment, which I think was sort of an unforced error. Um, you've got Pete Buttigieg, kind of the rising star. If it's not Biden, he's one of the rising stars having a very bad, <laughs> a very bad year so far. Um, you've got uh, the, the Jared Polis thing, which I think muddies the water again. It, it muddies the water because it was supposed to be Republicans who were mean busing migrants. And now, now it's a little bit blurry. Democrats do it too goes back to the whataboutism argument. And then there was another one. Uh, uh, is it Lori Lightfoot? Is that her name? The Chicago uh, mayor. Chicago mayor who is in, involved in a kind of a mini scandal having to do with um, encouraging public Chicago public school teachers to send her volunteers for her campaign. Certainly not an ethical thing to do when they kind of report to you. I don't know. Um, I, don't, I don't know all the. I, I can't speak to it because I don't know. I, I I saw that headline. I don't know yeah. all the details about it. If that's if it's literally what happened or if it's being uh, trumped yeah. up inside. So there, there's a Chicago mayoral election next month, which is nonpartisan. Uh, so everyone's on the ballot at the same time, and then if no one gets fifty percent, I think it's 50, I think it's the threshold um, that they then have a runoff. You know, in the spring. Uh, so she, so she's not getting a free pass. So she, you know, there's a very crowded election going on there. So we'll see what yeah. happens with that. Um, and so but, I'm not saying any of these things in and of themselves are Watergate. But what I am saying is, like, I feel like Democrats had their act together for a long time. They really were on top of things. They were not making unforced errors. Um, and now they kind of look like Tom Brady uh, in, in uh January, well, which is not a, a good thing to look like this. This particular, and you, and you have a column on that point. I believe yeah. the beast, right? Um, but I, I, I mean, I, I agree part way. Um, but I think alongside all the things that you mentioned, some of which I don't think really have risen to the level of being known by the broader public in a, in a large way. It's like Republicans got their act together alongside of it. You know, they're still sure. having their issues, uh, even with the, you know, the speaker battle resolved. There are still bruises. They're still um, grappling with what do we what do we do with George Santos and geez, now Major Taylor Green gets committees, and uh, we even know what we're going to do with the debt limit and some rumblings from the more moderates in the caucus that maybe we're not going to go along with what the Freedom Caucus wants to do. Um, uh, so I we may be in a situation where things have evened out to some extent. It's not like the Democrats are running laps around the Republicans. But that's a hard thing to sustain over the course of you know months and years. You know, there's yeah. always going to be ups and downs. Um, uh, and we, we're still kind of on the edge of our seat how the debt limit battle is going to go. Uh, and I feel like the Republicans 
are not unified around what their ask is. Democrats are very clear. Debt limit increase, clean debt limit, no negotiations. Uh, and Republicans are, we should cut spending somehow, <laughs> but they don't quite know how, because they don't agree amongst themselves yet what the actual number is or where the cut yeah. should be. Uh, should, should be I guess performed. the question though would be, um, so we're running up against the debt limit, but then somehow I'm told uh, it won't really be a big deal till June. Right. Right. To what degree will that be like a sort of Damocles hanging over Republicans' heads for the next six months versus that kind of goes away um, and we start talking about it again mid-May, like mid-May? Oh, I, I don't think, I mean, most of the public has no idea this battle is even going on. You know, this is not something that is top of mind for the average person. It's only going to get really hot when you get much closer to the, re- the real deadline. Uh, my only point is that for those of us paying closer attention, uh, I don't feel like Republicans are entering this battle with a unified front. Yeah. Um, and- no, I think that's fair. But you know what I do, Bill? I go back and I look at, so I'm a conservative columnist who would probably prefer to be writing things that criticize Democrats, all things being equal. Mm-hmm. And I go back and I look at my columns and there was a time uh, where I was consistently criticizing Biden for like a couple of months. And then you start to see like the, the George Santoses of the world mm. <laughs> dominate, you know, it wasn't George Santos, but you get the point. Um, but 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 there there was a run of, of several months where I was getting a lot of flack from from Democrats, uh, not just the left, but like um, kind of people who liked me as a never Trumper uh, who were like, why are you focusing on, but this isn't helpful. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be helpful. That's not my job. <laughs> but, but, but the Democrats were in a rough shape um, for a lot of like 2021. It was not good. And, and, and my column is kind of a barometer of that. In mm-hmm. my opinion, I just go back and see what was I writing about? Cause I'm going to try to write about whatever the biggest story is that day. I'm going to try to cover. And, and, and in 2021, there were a lot of pieces that I wrote about crime and immigration and inflation and the Afghanistan withdrawal. And like those columns have kind of gone away in 2022. And now I'm wondering, will they be back in 2023? Well, I mean... It- Democrats are not going to have a perfect 2023. I mean, that's that's a given. I mean, the, even before the document thing, we knew there was going to be all sorts of investigations. We knew there was going to be Hunter Biden stuff. We knew they would push to impeach the Homeland Security Director. Although I should say, that if Republicans might put that on the floor, impeach the Homeland Security Director, and get a bunch, a handful of moderates peel off and say this is ridiculous. You know, we we can't criminalize policy disagreement. He might be incompetent, but that's not impeachable. And if they lose that vote, then then it's Republicans in disarray all over again. So that, and that's and that's a live possibility um, that the Freedom Caucus folks are going to make McCarthy put things on the floor where Republicans are not in actual unity on. Um, but we we knew there's going to be investigations and subpoenas and people hauled in. It was going to be messy and unpleasant for 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 the White House. Uh, they're not going to get bills passed for the most part because the House and Senate are run by different parties. Um, it was never going to be a great Democratic year. Uh, the question in my mind is, is Biden 
Has he done anything to himself that's going to attract a primary challenger? Is he going to weaken himself to such a degree that he seems like dead man walking in 2024 and it creates an opening for an ambitious Democrat to say, I'm, I'm trying to save us from a, from a debacle. Uh, don't, you, you can't be mad at me for taking on an incumbent because we got to put this guy out to pasture. Uh, and I don't think Biden has sunk that low yet. I mean, he, I mean, if he had a bad midterm, we might be there already, but he didn't. Uh, and now the cost of being the first one to challenge Biden is very high. You yeah. run the risk of damaging yourself permanently for undercutting your guy, your team's guy. Um, and so I agree with you that Biden has mishandled the public communication around this document thing, uh, that there are various landmines on the horizon that might make his year unpleasant, but I don't think he has lost the basic support of the party and the base. I mean, it's not, it's not maybe unanimous, you know, polls might still say, Hey, I wish the other guy was in there. Uh, that's not enough. For someone to be the, the first person to actually assemble a campaign against him. Um, and on the Republican side, I'm waiting for the Republicans to jump in. There's all this talk that Trump was a, a bit of a spend force, yet there seems to be hesitation to be the first one to jump in and be the one that faces Trump's wrath first. I, I mean, I think that's good. I, I think it's good. Um, Nixon, uh, Pat Buchanan wrote a book about seven years ago about uh, uh, Richard Nixon's, the, it's called The Greatest Comeback, I think, something like that. And Nixon talks about how, uh, you know, he uh, he supported, so Nixon, Nixon loses in 1960, right? Then he goes to California, runs for governor, loses in 62, maybe? Yeah, right, right. He supports Barry Goldwater and campaigns for him in 64. In 66, Nixon barnstorms the country supporting the Republican candidates who have a really good midterm. And everyone thinks that Nixon's going to, and he's patching up relationships with other people, uh, enemies, uh, the the Rockefellers and and whatnot in the party. And everyone thinks Nixon's going to jump in the race. And he says, no, let's let uh, George Romney get in Mm -hmm. and let, let the press eat him up for a while. Right. So Nixon like goes on vacation, mm-hmm. leaves the country, I think, mm-hmm. and George Romney starts running and he's got the whole field to himself and the the press starts to just eat him up and uh, the rest is history. Um, I think that the worst thing that could happen to Donald Trump is to let Donald Trump be in the spotlight. He's boring. He's old news. And then whenever someone gets in, if DeSantis gets in, um, that's going to be exciting. That's going to be fresh and new. The longer they can let Trump wither on the vine, um, I think the better. So oh, I don't uh, see this. Uh, oh. I don't see this as a sign of weakness. I see this as a smart strategy. Well, I don't see Trump withering right now. Trump's kind of showing he's still he's still the guy. He was involved. I mean, I, I don't think he deserves the credit for Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker, but he's taken that credit, and others have tried to give him that credit. And no one else is trying to say that they had a role in it. So he just seems like still a party leader, if not the party leader. Uh, and, you know, just the other day, um, you know, uh, he was talking trash about DeSantis on a talk show. Uh, uh, so there's still that kind of uh, there's there's a bit of a 
of a flex there. Like, yeah, if the status gets in, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll handle the way I handle things. Yeah. Um, uh, and, I, I kind of uh, like the way he put that. I'll um, handle it the way I handle things. I look, the, 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 the word from DeSantis' camp unofficially was that he wouldn't jump in until till maybe May or June because he's got governor stuff to deal with and uh, wants to get a few policy wins under his belt before he jumps in. And then he's, and he's not in any rush. He has his base of support. He has people excited for him to run. He doesn't need to go in early, uh, which is a perfectly reasonable calculation to make. But if you're not Trump and you're not DeSantis, what, when's your moment? I mean, I would think that if you I mean, look, these things happen pretty quickly. You know, we, we had you, you'll have debates potentially uh, in the latter half of you know 2023. You know, we, you have your first contests in you know early 2024. Um, it takes time to assemble a campaign, and particularly if you're not already a high name ID person, you're going to wait until. The Trump DeSantis um, clash of the Titans goes on for a couple months and then jump in in the fall. Um, everyone who's tried that has failed. You know, Rick Perry came in late and fizzled. Wes Clark came in late and fizzled. Um, you got to get in there. Uh, and I feel like there are people who are afraid to get in because they don't want the Trump treatment first. Um, I mean, maybe maybe someone will get in there before before May, um, but certainly in for the 2020 race, Democrats were getting in at this time in 2019. Um, uh, and Biden coming in in the, he came in like April, it was April, late April. Uh, and, uh, you know, the folks that came in after that were really, you know, afterthoughts who didn't, you know, end up get, getting very far. But the, the, the field was pretty set by April. Again, it, it, it's possible that everything collectively starts later. I mean, there are times in history when things have started later. I'm not saying, you know, uh, but the, the dynamic re- that would seem to be delaying this is fear. Fear of what happens to you when you jump in first. That, that, I mean, I, I can't know because I'm not an insider, but that's my sense of it. Yeah, it could be. Um, although I don't want to poo-poo it because, Bill, the thing I really don't want is a huge field. So I don't want Pompeo to get in the race. He's not going to, I don't want Mike Pence to get in the race. Um, you want just Trump DeSantis? You want a mano a mano? No, I don't want that because I don't think you can, um, you can't put all your eggs in the DeSantis basket because he's very untested. I, I'd like to see four or five candidates uh, total. And then, and then if you're not going to win it, get out. But I want to see, um, Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, run. I would like to see Tim Scott possibly run. Um, and I would like to see Ron DeSantis run. And I think there are a lot of people like uh, Larry Hogan that I like a lot. I don't want him to run. And um, I think that for the good of the party and the country, they should avoid this large Republican field because that's how Trump, that is how Trump wins. Uh, with a plurality of 35% of the vote. So if you can keep it fairly small, and if somebody, you know, if maybe DeSantis or Yunkin eventually will get him one-on-one, then I think he got a shot. Um, just as a digression, I'm in the middle of reading uh, the John Farrell biography of Richard Nixon, um, which I have to say uh, tells the story of the comeback 
Well, he tells the whole pre-presidential story. Uh, I think he tells it in a pretty dramatic way, uh, in a way I think that I, I, I understand it better. And I actually just, as I was reading about the checker speech here, I didn't watch the full checker speech. I never watched the whole thing before. Uh, and it really is an incredible uh, uh, address that he gave, especially when you know the backstory of it. Have you seen Mr. Um, Mr. Burns's Blinky speech? <laughs> Probably at some point. But... <laughs> but say what you will. Say what you will about me. I can take the slings and arrows. Um, yeah, there's, there's an episode where Mr. Burns gives a checker speech about a fish. I mean, there's a number of amazing things about the speech. One is so like, like Dewey, Thomas Dewey calls Nixon like a half hour before he's going on. It's like, hey, all Eisenhower's people, they want you to drop out. And he's like, <laughs> he's like screw you, I'm about to go on TV and defend myself. Um, so he was kind of rattled going yeah. in. Um, like he had a, he had a kind of routine to like memorize things without notes that he couldn't do because he got flustered. Wow. Um, but you would you wouldn't you you couldn't tell by watching. He seemed pretty on point. Uh, and the checkers part of the speech is not the climatic part of the speech. Uh, it's in the middle. Um, and he, and before that, he like literally lists all of his finances. His, his wife's Republican cloth coat. Right. But it's like, yeah. this is what I make. This is what I owe. These are my debts. This is my mortgage. These are the loans I've taken out. Uh, what about my Democratic, you know, my Democratic uh, uh, counterparts? You know, the vice president over there, his wife's on his payroll. I'm not <laughs> saying that's wrong. <laughs> if that's what you got to do to get by, that's your business. But I wouldn't do that. You know, Pat does some work for me, but I don't pay her. Uh, and then at the end, he says, because there's, there's genuine drama through all this, is he quitting or not? He doesn't make it clear uh, until yeah, the very says, uh, send, send telegrams to the RNC. To the RNC. Yeah. Not to Eisenhower. To the RNC. And the RNC will decide whether I stay or go <laughs> based on what you, the people, tell them. I mean, it is a straight up elbow. And Eisenhower, like, don't you dare think you're taking me out. Yes. I'm taking this to the people. Uh, and he boxes Eisenhower in. And let me just say the Trump years have really made me like. Richard Nixon a lot more in comparison. I think nobody has benefited more, uh, no Republican probably, than Richard Nixon. I think just, you know, uh, as bad as he was, <laughs> the comparison to Nixon, he looks good. And just smarter, uh, more thoughtful, more knowledgeable. Um, and have, have you been, Bill, your Belinda, I would recommend, everyone goes to the Reagan Library and it's great, but your Belinda is the Nixon birthplace, burial ground, and library all in one place. And it is well worth your time if you have not been. Well, what's fascinating about Nixon is, I mean, a lot of, I mean, and this is, you know, the theme of Rick Perlstein's Nixon land, like Nixon defines the combative polarized politics that we're still living in. Uh, and he and he was known for being you know tricky dick and the way he, he was he was he was slash and burn on on his way up and um you know whether it was Alger Hiss or uh, uh Douglas who he ran against for Senate or the way he shivved Earl Warren you know at the nineteen fifty two convention uh, there's all sorts of things that he did that were um that were brass knuckled but it was mixed in with both 
like he had high-minded principles of what he, what he wanted to do in governance. He actually cared about governing. Yeah. Uh, and and there were certain lines he wouldn't cross. I mean, there's all sorts of lines he did cross. <laughs> it's hard. Sure. Um, so it, it's it just it, it just becomes hard to kind of square it. Like there there were rumors that Adelaide Stevenson was gay, and he wouldn't touch him. He's like, yeah. you know, that we, he's like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. Play, did places. you ever hear, Bill? Did you ever hear the speech he gave to like the White House staff right before he did that? You know peace sign or whatever and, and not, flew I'm not, away. I'm not there in the book. <laughs> oh, well, you can watch it on YouTube. It is, it's a great speech. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, he talks about his family, you know, who were Quakers and like, he, he talks about growing up in that family and like how his dad, no one will remember him. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be written about in books, mm-hmm. but that was a man that, you know what I mean? He's like talking about like the decency of kind of an average guy. Um, and then he talks about like, others may hate you. Mm-hmm. Do not hate them back because then you destroy yourself. <laughs> it's a really good speech, obviously informed by what had happened to him. This is a guy who was introspective about what had just happened to him. <laughs> so uh, everyone, if you've not heard it, uh, I would recommend the speech. It's really good. Though apparently his dad was a real, real jackass. <laughs> <laughs> it would make sense. You know, but let's put it in the context of the times. I mean... A lot of dads back in them days were, uh, they were not um, touchy-feely. Yeah, he was, def- he was definitely not a touchy-feely dad. That is absolutely, absolutely the case. Uh, anyway, uh, we should probably wrap up. Uh, now, here's my question, though, before we wrap up. Sure. You had no idea I was going to bring up Nixon. Uh, I did the not. 1968 campaign. Were you holding that book in your lap on the off chance that I would bring up? <laughs> no, no. Movie? I mean, I'm, I'm I'm in the middle of reading it. That that is the, <laughs> that is the book I'm currently reading. Awesome, man. Um, all right. Anything you want to plug? Uh, no. I do not have things to plug. All right. Um, let me just apologize. My uh, Matt Lewis in the news podcast. Um, I ran a bunch of greatest hits at the end of the year. Then we had a technological snafu uh, with my my producer and the uh, and the servers, so we did not run many episodes uh, until recently. So we're back in the groove now. We're back in the saddle, but uh, I got out of out of my rhythm of doing the podcast. So if you've quit listening, come back and uh, knock Where on did- wood. I'm supposed to talk to our our dear friend John Ziegler later mm. today. I know. Every time I talk to him, the uh, it's just it's amazing because he's a contrarian, Bill. That is uh, absolutely he, the case. He is a contrarian. All right. Um, well, we'll see you back here. Follow us on Twitter at DMZ Show, and we'll see you back here in the DMZ next week. All right. Take care. Thanks.